the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Tuesday, you know, I just realized uh, yesterday that we're getting awful close to Thanksgiving. It's next week. I didn't realize that. It is next week. So when I apologize for talking about Christmas, I take it back. We're not, <laughs> we're not that far from the holidays, man. We're close. Last night, I hung uh, the big reef up on the Ellswick house. That's on our chimney outside the house. And this year, I got something new. I, I decided I, I, I didn't want to jump up on the, the ladder and hang lights around the house. So I got this uh, thing over at Home Depot. It's like a ball, Elizabeth. And it looks like it's snowing on my house. Oh, how fun. Oh, the light thing. Yeah. And yeah, it, and it works great. really well. I was really well, surprised. It, you know, you you see the thing, and then you, you take it home, and you try it, and it doesn't work. But just moving about uh, moving it about uh, 15 feet back from the house covers my whole house. Does it have different designs? Can you put no, Santa Claus on your no, house? No, no, it's just It's just <laughs> snowflakes, but different colors. If I want green snowflakes or red snowflakes or green and red snowflakes or white <laughs> You know, red, white, and blue snowflakes, I can do all of that. I think I'm going to be a traditionalist and just put white snowflakes. Last time I saw, white was the color of snowflakes, not red, white, and blue or green and red and white, red, and green or anything like that. I'd I'd feel like I was in, you know, Dr. Seussville or something if I had... You know, green, red, and white snowflakes. That would be just a little bit more, much for me. But blue snowflakes are pretty. I mean, you know, it, it looks kind of nice, like especially at night when yeah. you have like certain lights up. So maybe like, you know, a little bit of blue snowflakes. I'll look and see yeah. if I can do it. Yeah. But like blue I, and white I'm, I'm, more of a, I'm more of a traditionalist, you know. I understand. But yeah, like red and green. I was like, I've never seen those before. I've never seen. And, I'm, huh. and as, as patriotic as I am. I've never seen I've seen never seen it snow red white and blue. You have to draw a line somewhere. Red, white, and you know, at Christmas it's so fun to drive down the street and you see all the lovely displays where people have obviously spent a lot of time planning and organizing, and it looks really, you know, set out really beautifully. And then you see the person that just took the lights and kind of threw them up. Yeah. <laughs> and they have four or five different colors blinking at once and. Yeah, but it's all about the exuberance. <laughs> yeah, but I, I'm not one of those crazy people that ABC is going to visit 
because I've got I've spent a hundred thousand dollars on Christmas lights and it's all computerized and everything. Those those displays, I have to admit, amaze me. But I would not have the uh, patience to do them. Have you? Have- I would love, love, love. I mean, I love Christmas lights and I love watching those shows and I would love to do that. But you know, your neighbors hate you forever. Yeah. You know, well, ask, the traffic. <laughs> rem- remember out there on uh, Cantrell when, um, oh, what was the gentleman's Jennings name? Jennings Osborne. Yeah. Jennings Osborne. Had all I didn't the, miss a single year. The... I was, I lived in Little Rock. I used to get into all that traffic and the neighbors hated him for that. Oh, I know they but did. It was glorious. I know. And, and you know, they sold. Well, they gave a lot of their lights away. They didn't even sell them. Disney took a lot of them. And I thought they gave. I thought they sold some of them, but those beautiful angels. If anyone ever saw those displays, you remember the angels with their moving wings, and they were down at Disney for what ten years or more afterward. And Long do, time. Do you remember who he tried to give them to, and they they said we don't want them? Oh no! <laughs> yeah, Little Rock. I do remember Little Rock. That's right. That's right. It was the city of Little Rock. Did not the want to have them. The city of Little Rock because wouldn't they didn't take them. They didn't like them. Can you imagine? Yep. Can you imagine what that that could have done for the river market to have that light display down there? They're always trying to draw people down to to the river market. That would have drawn thousands of people. Now that would have worked. And you know, I remember uh, them saying if they built that bridge in North Little Rock, it would pe- bring people from surrounding states. That would have brought people from surrounding states. Well, be careful now, because here in Conway, we have a lovely $130,000 Christmas tree. Yeah, that, and now we also have a Ferris wheel that, you know, <laughs> supposedly brings all this money to Conway. And I, some of us do not agree. <laughs> well, I remember that, that Christmas tree. But, does it work now? I think it finally does after all of the, oh, Lord, they lost it. They couldn't find it. It didn't work. They couldn't get it fixed. It was. Just, it's just been a nightmare. Well, but but uh, if I, if I remember... People, if I remember, Jennings Osborne offered those lights to the city. They didn't have to buy them. He that was going to be them. my point. I believe he was going to donate them, that's which correct. meant that they would only have to pay to operate them. And that's a much different situation than the money that's been spent, you know, on well, that sort of thing. They on could this have, Christmas tree and they, <laughs> they could have set it up so that the only way you could see them was to pay, what, 50 cents to a dollar to drive in a certain area to see them. They could have paid for oh, there's them. there's lots of things. Yeah, there's lots. Well, it's, it, I'm hoping for some creative Christmas uh, uh, displays this year. For example, at Halloween, there was a drive through haunted house in one of the parking decks downtown Little Rock. No, that's cool. Um, you know, that you drive through in your car, you don't have to get out, that kind of stuff. Um, it's going to be tough. And I don't typically get into talking about Christmas at this point in time, Mr. Ellswick. It is not Thanksgiving yet. I understand that. <laughs> you got to come. I you do know, love I'm the not going to have a show on Thanksgiving Day here. I'll be at home stuffing myself. But uh, maybe this year I'll wear my pilgrim's costume on Tuesday or something. You that know, would be fun. You know, you're going to be on Facebook. You need to do yeah, that. Yeah, with my belt, <laughs> with my belt buckle and all that kind of stuff. It looked like a pilgrim doing 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 my thing. And for all of you uh, social justice warriors out there, bleh, I don't care. Be, you know, do do it. Say what you want about the pilgrims and and 
all the things that they did, they, you know, leave them alone, man. It's history. Well, here's the thing. Just because you don't agree doesn't mean you get the right to completely erase our reality. Well, they're trying. Right? They're trying. Well, they're trying, but you got to resist. All I right. mean, this well, is a perfect time to be thinking about that. I'm going to resist today because on this day, in 1958, a new brand of music was the number one song in America, and it was three guys from Stanford University. They had only been playing in fraternities and sororities, and they came out with this song, and it went to number one. Here's the Kingston Trio and Tom Dooley. This next one tells the story of a Mr. Grayson, a beautiful woman, and a condemned man named Tom Dooley. When the sun rises tomorrow... Tom Dooley must hang. Hang down your head, Tom Dooley. Hang down your head and cry. Hang down your head, Tom Dooley. Poor boy, you're bound to die. I met her on the mountain. There I took her life. Met her on the mountain, stabbed her with my knife. Hang down your head, Tom, Julie. Hang down your head and cry. Hang down your head, Tom, Julie. Poor boy, you're bound to die. This time tomorrow, reckon where I'll be. Hadn't it been for Grayson, I'd have been in Tennessee. Oh, well, now, boy, hang down your head and Hang down your head and cry. Hang down your head and cry. Oh, boy, you're bound to die. True story that happened uh, in North Carolina back in 1868 about a guy by the name of Tom Dula, and he killed his fiance, and they hanged him for it. And somebody wrote a song about it, and the Kingston Trio happened to hear another folk group do it uh, out in San Francisco at the Purple Onion Club. And that's take you back a few years if you remember the name of that club. And they heard it, and they picked it up, and they kind of cleaned it up a little bit and uh, put that banjo behind them, and uh, the rest is history. And some of the greatest folk singers that came after them uh, quoted that it was that song that propelled them to do folk music. It's kind kind of interesting. But that was the number one song on this day in 19... 58 doesn't seem that long to me. I remember hearing my brother play that on a 45 on our little, you know, movable record player uh, in in our bedroom. I can remember that. That's really sad. (laughs) (laughs) A whole new kind of music, though, really. It was. It was a totally new genre that, that came on. And then lastly, one last thing, I tell, I talk to Heidi about her name all the time. And I said, 
her name will live in infamy because back in this day, in 1968, the Oakland Raiders scored two touchdowns in nine seconds to beat the New York Jets. And no one saw it because they were watching the movie Heidi instead, with just 65 seconds left to play. NBC switched off the game in favor of its previously scheduled programming, a made-for-TV version of the children's story about a young girl and her grandfather in the Alps. Viewers were outraged. I mean, they were outraged, and they complained so loudly that network executives learned a lesson they never forgot. Whatever you do, one said, you better not leave an NFL football game. <laughs> That's one of the first times they ever cut away from something like that and went back to programming, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, they do. Yeah. It's the one, one and only time. <laughs> they never, they well, never, never did then. it again. In fact, uh, when the next, when they finally drew up a contract that NBC was going to be doing it, uh, you know, during the, the NFL games, it was in the contract saying that they could not break away from any game. Uh, nobody outside the Oakland Coliseum actually saw any of it because NBC went to commercial right after the Jets' kickoff, which was returned for a touchdown, by the way, and never came back. Instead, they did what they'd been planning to do for weeks. At 7 p.m., they began to broadcast a brand-new version of Heidi, a film they were sure would win them high ratings <laughs> during the November sweeps. Not so much. <laughs> so that's when when I met Heidi for the first time, I just smiled at her and I said, a lot of people know your name. <laughs> I remember you asked Heidi, remember Heidi, he asked you about it that first couple of days we were on the air with you. And he Man. says, what? The yeah. Heidi Bowl? <laughs> yeah, the Heidi Bowl. That's what it came to be known as, the Heidi Bowl. So there you go, Heidi. There's that moment in history. Now you know why I smiled when I heard your name for the first time. All right, let's get a break in. we got to do that. 19 minutes after 6, I want to remind you uh, that they're looking for healthy volunteers uh, for a COVID-19 vaccine clinical research study. And the study is now enrolling in our area. Uh, do you want to help them research an investigational vaccine for COVID-19. If you do, uh, you can participate. And if you participate in this clinical trial, you'll have access to no-cost study-related care. You'll also have the opportunity to help advance COVID-19 research. You don't have to have insurance. It is not required. If you're an adult who is in good or stable health, you may be able to qualify. If you're interested in doing this, then here's where you go to learn more. You call 501-954-7822. 501-954-7822. Or go to C, a small C, 19 Vaccine Study. That's one word. The letter small C, 19, the number 19 vaccinestudy.com to see if you're eligible. Again, the number is 501-954-7822. So keep that in mind. 
a break and then more. Elizabeth is with us when we come back. An Indiana congresswoman who just was elected two weeks ago and spent her first 45 years in the Ukraine. We'll talk about socialism to you here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, in Indiana, new congresswoman there by the name of Victoria Sparts. Uh, she was an Indiana state senator uh, and uh, decided to run for the 5th Congressional District, uh, which was held by a Democrat, and she won. And she was uh, talking with Fox News. Uh, they did an interview with her, and I happened to catch this, and I decided I thought you would like to hear it. I think we have time to play this. If I do it right now? Okay, so let's let's get to this interview with Victoria Sparks. For 20-something years, she lived in Ukraine. She's lived for, uh, she's 42 and has lived in the United States now for 20 years, and she gives us a warning. Republican Victoria Sparks defeating her Democratic opponent for a seat that Democrats hope to flip after some polls show them ahead. Sparks' win expanding the number of newly elected Republican women elected to Congress this year to 17. And she joins me now. Welcome, Congresswoman-elect Victoria Sparks. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Good morning. You're welcome. Congratulations. Thank so you. what do you think led to what do you think led to so many Republican women winning these House seats? Well, if you think about, you know, like my district too, right, it's really a snapshot of America. You know, I have urban, suburban voters, rural voters. We have a lot of women. And, and I'm a mother of two daughters. I'm a suburban woman. And I think if you look at that, it's really, I'm very hopeful to see that majority people in our country don't believe in socialistic, utopic ideas that Democrat Party is now promoting. So women believe in the future of their children. They care about good economy economy, job, education, public safety, get having good health care, and they trust that Republican can deliver it. So I'm very honored to see that, but that is a, you know, it, that is a testament to that. How did your background, tell us a little bit about your background and how that shaped your political career. Well, I, you know, I grew up in socialistic country. It actually was, uh, you know, socialistic republic of Ukraine. I was saying, you know, in my 42 years, I grew up in socialism. I saw what happens when it runs out of money, and it's not pretty. And now I came to America 20 years ago with a suitcase after meeting my husband in the train in Europe, and he is a raisin-born Hoosier. You know, and now we're building socialism. I'm kind of going full circles. I can tell you what is going to be next. It's very sad for me to see that. And that made me, as a mother of two daughters, it made me get involved and do something about it, because that's not very good for our country. What do you say to the people that are more moderate Democrats or even Republicans that voted for Biden that say, oh, no, that's so progressive. They're not going to do that. There's not going to be distribution of wealth or socialism. What do you say to those voters? Well, I think that we need to be good students of history. In our country, for the last century, we fought against socialism, and a lot of young kids died. I took my kids to the beaches of Normandy, and you can see how many young kids died fighting for 
freedoms, how many wars we fought, and we won. And let's look at any country that had socialism. Every country failed because this system is not sustainable. This system created a lot of destructions and misery. So we have to be smarter than that. You know, we, we're not going to change. There are only two systems. You have freedom and free enterprise, and you have system where government decides and political elites on top how we're going to live and what we're going to do. And, you know, if you think about it, we all, we're not equal. We all want different things. We want to have equal rights to pursue happiness, but we want all different things. So we have different, I, you know, we don't even want to go to travel to the same countries. If the government forces us to be equal, you have to suppress. So every socialistic system, it's about suppression. And we have to value our freedoms because we're the greatest republic that ever existed. There you go. That's a woman who, she was born in the Soviet Union, and then it became, the place that she was at became the Ukraine. And you've heard about uh, the Ukraine over the last several years. Remember, that's where, you know, Hunter Biden had been doing his thing and uh, stuff like that. But that's some words to the wise. And, uh, and we'll talk more about this when we come back. We got news, and then Elizabeth and I will talk about the warning she gave. All right, so we played that part, uh, a little you know, audio from, uh, what was it, Representative-elect of Indiana, Victoria Sparts. And uh, I thought it was uh, very clear and kind of chilling as you listen to what she had to say. What do you say to that, Elizabeth? Uh, she's the one who knows what she's talking about. You know, when people tell you things like that, you should sit up and really listen closely. I would she knows exactly so. what she's seeing, you know. Um, it's chilling. I am proud and, and can't tell you how proud it makes me to think that, you know, what she has said. She says, you know, I know what I saw. I came here to America. I'm going to protect these freedoms. I, you know, we need to do this for, for our republic. And she ran for Congress. She's one of a record number of Republican women that are taking over this year. Was They're not taking over. That's not the right way to say that. Who got elected? Let's put it that way. Yeah, was it 17 Republican women that was, were elected to Congress? I think I that's the that's number. Correct. I believe that's correct. I believe that's correct. And, you know, the fact of it is, again, when the left talks about diversity, when you look at the right and what we've got going on after this election, it's it's amazing. And she, she I, I don't know, she excites me. She excites me as a mom probably never done anything like this in her lifetime, surely didn't do it in Ukraine up in, in her early years. And uh, just it's just phenomenal. This tells you how hungry the American people are to fight this sort of thing in our country. Well, I was really, uh, you know, taken about uh, that she came to this country with just her suitcase. That was it. She came, yeah. she came to the United States for an opportunity and, and seized that opportunity. Now, she's... She is uh, uh, a, a person who has a went to the Kiev uh, Economic School or uh, over in the Soviet Union, which is a, a good economic school. So she she had a pretty good uh, education uh, from uh, over in in Russia. Uh, of course, was taught socialist uh, uh, you know theology, so to speak, uh, while she was there and found out that it didn't work. In fact, let's listen to this one more time. Uh, she was on Fox News. It was about a three-minute interview. Let me play that for you one more time. These are words to pay attention to when you hear this type of stuff. Here's uh, 
uh, Representative from Indiana-elect Victoria Sparts. Listen to what she has to say. Republican Victoria Sparts defeating her Democratic opponent for a seat that Democrats hope to flip after some polls show them ahead. Sparts' win expanding the number of newly elected Republican women elected to Congress this year to 17. And she joins me now. Welcome, Congresswoman-elect Victoria Sparts. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Good morning. You're welcome. Congratulations. Thank so you. So what do you think led to what do you think led to so many Republican women winning these House seats? Well, if you think about, you know, like my district too, right, it's really a snapshot of America. You know, I have urban, suburban voters, rural voters, and we have a lot of women. And, and I'm a mother of two daughters. I'm a suburban woman. And I think if you look at that, it's really, I'm very hopeful to see that majority people in our country don't believe in socialistic, utopic ideas that Democrat Party is now promoting. So women believe in the future of their children. They care about good economy economy, job, education, public safety, get having good health care, and they trust that Republican can deliver it. So I'm very honored to see that, but that is a you know it, that is a testament to that. How did your background tell us a little bit about your background and how that shaped your political career? Well, I, you know, I grew up in socialistic country. It actually was, uh, you know, socialistic republic of Ukraine. I was saying, you know, in my 42 years, I grew up in socialism. I saw what happens when it runs out of money, and it's not pretty. And now I came to America 20 years ago with a suitcase after meeting my husband in the train in Europe, and he is a raisin-born Hoosier. You know, and now we're building socialism. I'm kind of going full circles. So I can tell you what is going to be next. It's very sad for me to see that. And that made me, as a mother of two daughters, it made me get involved and do something about it, because that's not very good for our country. What do you say to the people that are more moderate Democrats or even Republicans that voted for Biden that say, oh, no, that's so progressive. They're not going to do that. There's not going to be distribution of wealth or socialism. What do you say to those voters? Well, I think that we need to be good students of history. And our country, for the last century, we fought against socialism. And a lot of young kids died. I took my kids to the beaches of Normandy. And you can see how many young kids died fighting for freedoms, how many wars was fought, and we won. And let's look at any country that had socialism. Every country failed because this system is not sustainable. This system created a lot of destructions and misery. So we have to be smarter than that. You know, we, we're not going to change. There are only two systems. You have freedom and free enterprise, and you have system where government decides, and political elites on top, how we're going to live, and what we're going to do. And, you know, if you think about it. We all, we're not equal. We all want different things. We want to have equal rights to pursue happiness, but we want all different things. We have different, I, you know, we don't even want to go to travel to the same countries. If the government forces us to be equal, you have to suppress. So every socialistic system, it's about suppression. And we have to value our freedoms because we're the greatest republic that ever existed. Pretty good. Words to live by, no doubt about that, and to vote by uh, when you go to the polls. I don't worry about Arkansas, so to speak, but uh, I do worry when I look at the East Coast. I mean, they they have fallen into this whole uh, socialistic, utopic vision, as she talked about. And uh, 
have no idea what the history of socialism is. And she's right. I, I know people, are, there's people out there saying, they fought the Nazis. They weren't socialists. Oh, yes, they were. You might, you need to do your history on that. And you need to do your history on Italy and, and Mussolini and take a look at Spain and take a look at the Soviet Union and, and all the rest. I mean, look, socialism is nothing but a bridge between capitalism and communism. That's exactly what it is. Someone said to me, socialism is communism's little brother. Yeah, well, it's very true. It it really is. It's it's communism light. That's, I guess, another way of kind of looking at it. Yeah, that's another way of putting it. You know, and I, you know, we need to wake up here in America. We actually are looking this square in the face, and I don't think that many... I'm concerned that many people do not see it right in front of our eyes. No, I agree. I uh, I really uh, agree with that as well, that they're just not paying attention to uh, what's happening right in front of them. But that's the way it always changes. You know, it's the that's people true. that don't pay attention or are paying attention and just poo-poo it and say, it can't happen here can't happen here or and then they wake up one legitimate. day yeah go ahead wake up no please go ahead wake up one day yeah just wake up one day and things have changed i mean you tell me in the last 10 years uh if you've been old enough to remember that you look at your nation and it hasn't changed drastically drastically it's changed drastically there's things that are happening in this nation that you could have never got me to believe that it was going to happen. I mean, I can go back, let's say, 20 years. I mean, things have really changed in our country. Well, people have been busy. I mean, I've heard it for years. Well, you know, we're just so busy, and our children are involved in all these activities, and we're doing this and we're doing that. And, you know, I just don't have time for politics. Mm -hmm. Well, Well, politics has got time for you. There you go. (laughs) And that's why you keep talking about it here on this Dave Ellsworth show to get the word out. (laughs) There's some times that uh, that I don't. I mean, yesterday on my show... I don't think we talked about politics, but a few moments. We talked about a whole lot of other things, just for just uh, things that we wanted to chase around and had some fun doing it. But yes. uh, the bottom line is, I try on this show, uh, when I get pieces like this from Victoria Sparts and others, uh, of people who have lived uh, under socialistic rule. Look, I was lucky enough. Uh, back in the 80s to sit down and talk face-to-face with Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who came to the United States from the gulags uh, of the Soviet Union. And all of these lefties were all excited about him coming. And uh, they couldn't wait to hear what he had to say. And then when he started speaking, they wanted him to shut up. Because he they told, to shut him down. yeah, they told he he told everybody just the opposite of what they uh, that the progressives wanted to hear. He told, he told them the truth. Well, he told. I mean, he, during the interview I had, he said America and the Soviet Union at that time were like two ships passing each other on the ocean. Uh, the United States heading towards what the Soviet Union had. The Soviet Union at that point moving towards uh, freedom 
Now, I think that if I, yeah. if I, if he, if he were still alive and I got a chance to talk to him, uh, he would, he would say they were both ships were going in the same direction, just at different speeds. I mean, that was uh, that was one of one of those interviews that I'll never forget to be able to sit down and talk to that guy. I mean, that was well, amazing. Here's one of the major things that have changed that is so chilling is that back then his interviews were available. You saw them all over television. You saw them in oh, the yeah. newspapers. You saw what he had to say. Today, not so. Oh, man, Today, I, I wonder if you could still dig them up. Breath. You think we could well, still dig them? Are they still there? I, well, I don't know that that's true. They may not still be there. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? The way that they're scrubbing things off of the Internet and keeping people from speaking in our country today is probably, to me, the most chilling thing that has changed. You're talking about the last 20 years. Mm -hmm. It's the most chilling thing that has changed in the last 20 years because we cannot exist as a republic without the press. You wouldn't have known about, I can't say his name, Schultz and Nixon. You would not have known about him if you hadn't seen it in the press, if you hadn't been in part of the used to be objective free press. We don't have that now. Yeah. And I I agree with that. I really do agree with what you're what you're saying. Um, I'm I'm looking here, and I know, and I don't bring these things up repeatedly because I want to be Debbie Downer. I keep wanting to say that I bring them up because we need to be aware. We are not aware. Many people are not aware. I hope that people who are aware will do what I do and talk about it. Tell people about it. We've got to wake this country up. Seventy-one million people voted. It looks like. For President Donald J. Trump, at least 71 million people do not want socialism in this country. That's half, at least, or more. Right. We have to wake up. Hold your hold your fire. We'll come back and we'll talk further. <laughs> it's the Dave Ellswick Show. Let me remind you again that they're looking for people to uh, become volunteers for a COVID-19 vaccine clinical research study. Uh, it's now enrolling in our uh, area here in central Arkansas. Uh, if you want to help them research an investigational vaccine for COVID-19 to participate in the clinical trial, you'll have access to no-cost study-related care. You'll also have the opportunity to help advance COVID-19 research. You don't have to have uh, health insurance to take part. If you're an adult who's in good or stable health, you can qualify uh, for this. You may be able to get into the study. If you're interested in learning more, call toll-free 501-954-7822 or go to the letter C, small letter C, then the number 19, vaccinestudy.com. That's 501-954-7822, the letter C, small C, 19, the number 19, vaccinestudy.com. All right, back. Final uh, segment for the uh, 6 o'clock hour. Robert Steinbach also chimes in with us. What's up, Robert? Dave, I just had to call in because I wanted to mention something you well know, is that my father uh, was born in Poland, and at a young age, World War II broke out, and he lived under Nazi occupation and then wound up in the Soviet Union living in a common communist environment. After the war... 
He emigrated to Israel as part of a Zionist youth movement, but there was a strain within that youth movement. Not a, uh, there were different parts, and the one that he initially was put into, he didn't have any choice, was socialistic. And he talked about the horrors of socialism uh, in the Soviet Union. There is no distinction between socialism and communism. The the claim is nonsensical. Some of this social democratic nonsense that you hear today is is an attempt to combine socialism with capitalism. And that, as you aptly point out, is a step towards communism. But the Soviets called themselves socialists. And then the socialist uh, strain within the Zionist youth movement uh, was equally socialistic. And he got into arguments with those who were running the program when he spoke about individuality and when he spoke about the need to allow people to express themselves, to flourish, to compete. And all of that was tamped down under the guise, under the name of Socialism. Socialism is a doomed theory. History has proven it to be a failed concept. And yet, what does the left do? Oh, well, they didn't get it right. Each time, they didn't get it right. Yep. And, and you, AOC, and other yes. brilliant minds like you are the ones who figured out the magic formula? Mm-hmm. Is that what I'm supposed to believe? It's such nonsense. Arrogant. And that's, Arrogant. that's why the left ran away from... Um, people like AOC in Florida, those people who have been exposed to socialism in Cuba, in Venezuela, and they voted for Trump. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, people want freedom. People move towards freedom, I believe, for the most part, unless they've been hoodwinked. And that's what a lot of these people have been uh, done to. They've had the wool literally pulled over their eyes and They can't see socialism for what it is. They can't see progressivism for what it is, which is nothing more than socialism. I mean, it's the whole ideal structure of socialism, and that's what Victoria Sparks was trying to warn everybody about. I mean, she should be celebrated, a woman who came here just with her suitcase in hand. When When I hear her talking, I think about the people who came through Ellis Island and who came here with nothing but a dream and turn their dreams into reality because they had a country that allowed them to do that. Uh, and, it, and, because, it, and it's kind of the same way here in this country, depending on what part of the country you live in. When they came here, they embraced the new country that they knew would provide them the freedoms that we have naturally Human beings naturally have these freedoms. They're God-given rights. That's right. They're God-given rights. We're the only country rights. that protects them so Absolutely. far. Absolutely. So, Robert, uh, I'm going to get back in touch with you uh, during a break, and uh, we may have you back on later on in the show. You all right? Okay. I'm going to say that that's good. All right. We'll talk to you a little. We'll talk to you a little bit later, Elizabeth. We're down to about uh, three minutes left here on the uh, the Dave Ellswick show. Uh, the counting continues here in uh, our country about the uh, the presidency. I believe that the only chance that the president has is if these people who've been talking about these voting machines that have the Dominion uh, software uh, can come forth with some proof that this election 
was tainted uh, by that, and I don't know if they've got the time to make it happen. Timing is the big question, I believe, and it's something that's really going to make a difference. There are so many different options. I have not really listened very much because at this point, the disinformation is so great that it's almost a waste of time. In other words, I cannot personally affect the outcome of that. And frankly, the things that the media, again, I'm really down on this, the media is filling everyone's head with all sorts of things. They talk about Russia disinformation. It is appalling the things they're trying to tell us that are not true, that are not accurate, and the things that they are also keeping from us by omission. Well, you know what? I think that I'm going to quit calling them the mainstream media and just call them Pravda because, <laughs> because to be honest, that, that's what they've become. Now, Billy is coming on in the next hour for the uh, the Bible guys. He's an IT guy. Did you get my my uh, thing? Can you talk about that? He's going to talk about Dominion. So you don't you don't wa- you don't want him you don't want to miss this. This is to use words of today. This is going to be dope. I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> Computers now, don't Heidi, hide. You got to you, know. you got to. Uh, are you laughing under your mask that I just used the term dope? <laughs> she's just shaking her head at me <laughs> rolling her eyes i'm sure yes she is yes she definitely definitely is all right so uh we'll talk to you at six o'clock tonight and uh, yes, and discuss sir. when we go out here to the news let's hear a little bit more of the kingston trio and the number one song today in 1958 was tom dooley by the kingston trio to die. Well, now, boy, hang down your head and cry. Hang down your head and cry. Hang down your head and cry. Oh, boy, you're bound to die. This time tomorrow, reckon where I'll be. Down in some lonesome valley. Hanging from a white oak tree Hang down your head, Tom Dooley Hang down your head and cry has been called away to some things that he has to take care of so billy's going to hold down the fort today and in the last hour uh we were talking about the election and they're still counting and there's still lawsuits going on uh but the way i see it uh the only chance that i believe that uh, president donald trump has for re-election 
is if this whole thing that I keep reading about dominion mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, is true. <clears throat> and I don't know if it is or not. I'm not enough of a an IT guy to be able to tell you that. I'll tell you what I am. I'm a science fiction reader, and I watch science fiction. And when I talk about uh, artificial intelligence, I talk like Stephen Hawking's. Beware yeah, yeah. artificial intelligence, because... This is a, a, an intelligence that makes itself better and repairs itself, and sooner or later will be better. Sooner, you know, as far as the, the, it's not sooner or later. It's, yeah, the answer to that is sooner. sooner. Yeah, to be able to think it, think itself better than its human creators, and uh, if that happens, I have no idea what's going to happen yeah. in our future. So. Now, Billy is here today, and he is an IT guy, and he is a specialist. He knows a lot about what's going on as far as uh, the Internet goes and and about, uh, I don't know, I guess we can talk about artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But we had a question that came in from a listener for the Bible Guys asking about dominion and, I think, looking towards uh you know the end times, so to right, speak, right. and and, and what your th- thought about dominion? I mean, uh, from your education you've had, the many years that you've spent working uh, in the IT field, is there a possibility that this election was uh, stolen, for better words? So, <clears throat> for those who who don't know my background, I've. Um, I've been in the IT industry for 33 years now. Okay. Uh, the vast majority of that I have spent in um, a security role of some sort or another. Today, I am a cybersecurity specialist. So uh, in my day life, this is the sort of thing that I do, right? Um, <clears throat> and everyone who finds themselves in a similar position um, to what I am in will tell you um, that they have spent some time, at the very least, wearing a gray hat, right? Um, we, in the security industry, we talk about the white hats, people like me who are out protecting things, the black hats, which are the bad guys you do not want getting your social security number, and then the gray hats who sit in the middle, um, who uh, they're doing some hacking, but they're doing that in an effort, they're doing that in a ethical way, and they're doing that in an effort to shore up systems. So uh, I don't know anyone who is a white hat today who didn't spend at least a little time wearing a gray hat and okay. some of us wearing a black hat as well at one point or another. So um, <clears throat> in doing that and in, in being in that sort of a role, uh, you expose yourself to all kinds of things that are out there. You have to. If, you, if you're going to fight against something, you have to know your enemy, right? Um, well, yeah. It, the cyber warfare is cyber warfare. Um, so we have to know the weapons that, that our opponents are using. We have to know what's going on out there. So um, I've spent a lot of time looking at this stuff. Um, the Dominion software, uh, I have seen... Uh, a a cybersecurity specialist firm take apart that machine and examine it. Um, In five minutes, they found probably 30 flaws uh, where they go, um, this is attackable, that's attackable, this is attackable. Uh, Part of the problem that we have is that you can go buy a voting machine, bring it to your house, and take it apart to see if you can figure out what's wrong with it. Um, I don't really think we should be selling voting machines to the general public. Uh, 
We don't sell ATMs to the general public because we don't want people taking them apart and figuring out what's going on with them. But we will allow voting machines to be purchased by the general public, to be brought home, torn apart, examined to see if you can find a flaw with it. Um, they They are vulnerable. Now, Dominion will tell you that... Um, matter of fact, they've got a FAQ up on their website right now saying there there was no fraud, uh, there were no vote switching. Um, the idea that they had a problem at the last minute is is incorrect. They don't have a problem with the Sharpie, et cetera, et cetera. All of the things that we have heard uh, about potential problems with their their software and hardware, they deny all of that. Okay. Of course, I would expect them to deny all of it. Yeah, because right? they want to sell machines. <clears throat> right. And more importantly... Um, if they've got a motive, then of course they have to deny it. Now, I am not sitting here saying that they have a motive. I am not sitting here saying that they did something hinky. Uh, technically, that would probably be liable, and I am not a big fan of lawsuits. Yeah, so, me neither. Uh, <laughs> so I am not sitting here telling you uh, that they have done something wrong. I can tell you that there is some evidence um You know, we live in a day where information is instantly available to all of us. Uh, And nothing, uh, I can't say nothing, very little is done in secret anymore because there are cameras everywhere watching. And you can go back and watch some footage on election night of vote counts that changed in real time um, where significant numbers of votes swung away from Trump and swung to Biden. And it's an exact match in numbers. Is that hinky? Well, it sure looks hinky. Um, now people have been asking about how that's happening, um, whether that's something that's being done at the voting machine itself or how, how something like that, you know, people want to go, well, it's just not possible that something like that could happen. Um, we know that a bunch of the, so when you, when you take your, particularly here in Arkansas, where you went to the machine and it spit out a form, which you then went over and fed into another machine, which actually counted your votes and sent those into the database, that machine takes your information that you've filled out there, who you voted for, and sends that off to a database. Uh, And that database could be vulnerable. And I guess we'll talk about that on the flip side? No. Oh, we're there? Okay, I thought we were there. Um, So that database, uh, think of a database as a a cup that holds uh, all the jelly beans, right? Um, The machine doesn't, even if something is not happening at the machine, if I can get access to that cup and just change out a whole bunch of the red jelly beans for blue jelly beans, then it doesn't matter whether or not uh, I, I messed with the machine. Uh, unfortunately, we have seen that several of these vendors uh, who produce, and, and Dominion is just one of the vendors for voting machines, but uh, several of these vendors who produce these uh, voting machines, their databases are stored in places like, oh, I don't know, China. Um, surely, surely. The Chinese, who have got the database sitting in their backyard, have no interest in in messing with our elections, right? They don't, they don't have they don't have any interest in messing with that at all. Um, yes, I think the entire thing, uh, as a security specialist looking at the situation, uh, I see lots of points for potential harm to be done to the elect to the election process. Um, what, can I st- sit here and, and say for one hundred percent certain that things uh, happen? No, I can't, but. Um, there is a there, there are, you will also hear some references to other softwares out there um, you know hammer and scorecard and things that are being done and here's what you need to know 
we, because we are Americans, we tend to think of America as the good guys mm-hmm. in everything we do. But America has been messing with elections for 50 or 60 years in, in these sorts of ways. Uh, and we've been, we've been enforcing our will in other countries for a lot longer than that. Yes. We are pretty good at making an election appear to go one way or the other. Um, we have always done that on foreign soil to enforce our will. But if we have the tools to do that in a foreign country, then we have the tools to do that here as well. All right. Something to keep in mind. Hey, listen, Carol is in Roland has a question for us. Carol, how are you? And welcome uh, to the Dave Ellswick Show with the Bible Guy today here on uh, 101.1. Good morning. And, of course, this is indirectly talked about the Bible, because if you know what it says about what's coming, you know that's what's in the process and the corporatism and all that's tried to uh, uh, control our elections, and they've done a pretty good job of it for a long time, both parties. Uh, But anyway, what uh, I heard is a solution and it was on the day of the Doug Hagman program last night. He lives in Erie, Pennsylvania, so he's right in the <laughs> in the midst of the mess. But uh, <clears throat> he had a lady on named Mary Fanning, and she has been working on this very thing since 2015. And she knows all about the hammer and the scorecard. And on that program, she will show you the diagram and how they work this. And... Uh, uh, a man named uh, Brandon House, who does uh, World Review Report, brought them together. Uh, he's the one who got her on to Doug Hagman's, the DougHagmanReport.com. Um, but anyway, uh, it's a, it's a, an amazing amount of knowledge. And I'm going to tell you where where they got the information, where she got the information, was from uh, Admiral Ace Lyons, who died last year and another general who was with him when he died. And he told him, he grabbed his hand and he said, this is about the hammer is the key to the coup. Yeah. And so he knew about it, and um, they had used it in Venezuela and Cuba and some other, you know, to control the elections. And, and, and matter of fact, under Chavez down there, they used it. And so it's a very complete uh, explanation of what has gone on in these states. And Trump won by a major landslide. It was so huge. That's why they did the pause in the thing. They had to print up some more ballots and get them out there. That's why they did the halt on, you know, they stopped some of the counting in the, some of the states, remember? Mm-hmm. Well, that's why. And they were filling in these uh, ballots and uh, – and there's just been anomalies that never should have and nor could have happened. And so they've got all this proof. And um, you really need to hear that program because she tells a whole lot more about stuff that's gone on um, that will just blow your mind. And I'm t- I just wanted to shout after I thought we have one. The president is right. And Sidney Powell is right. When she says it, you can take it to the bank because she doesn't lie. Or put her career in jeopardy for lying. Um, they have won. Now we need to pray that the courts will expedite this. But I can tell you, one of the things I reason uh, that I reason I believe they will hear it in Supreme Court uh, rather quickly is because Obama was spying on the Supreme Court individuals and um, and everybody else, by the way. But uh, he had weaponized the CIA. 
And it, this is a phenomenal program. You need to go to the Doug Hagman Report dot com last night's November the 16th um, program and it's uh, with uh, Brandon House he brought them together actually and Mary Fanning she's the one who's done all this research and there's actually a diagram on there it shows you exactly how this uh, computer switch happens and how they how they pass it through right well they just recovered uh, um, they had moved it the uh, it used to be in Bar- it used to go from our country to Barcelona, Spain, but they somebody bought it and it's moved now to Frankfurt, Germany. Well, our CIA and I I heard that it was Louis Gohmert who went with them over and they seized that computer in Frankfurt. And so they have that computer and they're showing how this all worked and it is just the criminal beyond criminal. I mean, yeah. Uh, right. what they've been Anyway, that's FYI, and God bless, because we've won. All right, <laughs> Carol. Great. Thank you and for your— to, go- God, to God be the glory. I agree. That's right. Who- Thank you, Carol. We, we appreciate your call. Yeah. Thank you very much. Well, i got to get a break in. <clears throat> Don't forget about PI Roofing. They will take care of your roof in a professional way. They will take care of your roof and follow all the COVID-19 protocols, because I know there's— Many of you that want to make sure that that happens, and it will, uh, with PI Roofing. They're protecting their workers as well as they're protecting your family. But here's what they'll do. Uh, They are your roof leak detectives. They'll go, if you've noticed that you think you have a leak, you found a little bit of, you know, uh, discoloration on your ceiling or maybe a little water at the baseboard, uh, have them come out and walk your uh you know roof and look they can walk it and just by walking over it can tell whether there's some wobbly areas i mean if if they hit mushy areas they know that you've got problems and uh, if you do have to have a roof they'll work for uh, with you as far as talking to your insurance company to the appraisers and show them the problems and then uh, they work out uh, the process of how to get it repaired that's PI Roofing. You call them. Use the same number I do. Now, these are the guys that I use. I don't use anybody else on my house. 707-3551. 707-3551. Uh, they're also bonded. Uh, they're, they're good people. Don't have to worry about them leaving you high and dry, coming in from another state and then leaving. 707-3551 or visit them online. PIRoofing.com. All right, Billy's here. He is answering questions about, uh, you know, Scripture. Uh, We're taking your questions. One of the big questions that we've gotten over the last two weeks have been about the election. Right. How how does this factor into eschatology and and all kinds of things? And uh, we dealt with that last week. We can deal with it some again this week. Sure. That's no problem. I know that it's on a lot of people's mind. Uh, how Lindsay made it, uh, you know, for sure that that was going to happen just because so many people have read the late great planet earth and, uh, you know, are pre tribulous and, uh, mm-hmm. and buy into all of that. So, uh, I don't just so that you knew I did at one time, but then I started doing some studies on it. And I'm just telling you, there's, there's holes to drive a truck through with it. So right. something that you, you gotta 
keep in, keep in mind. Billy? Yeah, um, there's a, a great book out there written by Dr. Michael Brown called uh, Why I'm Not Afraid of the Antichrist. Um, and he and Craig, um, who's the other author? Craig... Um, somebody. Anyway, the book is written kind of as an, a back and forth conversation. So um, Dr. Brown writes one chapter and then Craig writes the second chapter, etc. They go back and forth and they really examine uh, all the scriptural, scriptural evidence for whether or not there is a, a pre-tribulation rapture. Mm-hmm. Um, and, the, and the point is uh, kind of Dr. Brown's point is um, there's not there's very, very little evidence. There are a couple of scriptures that you have to look at and go, hmm, I don't see a way to rebut that. But um, on the other side, there's a preponderance, a preponderance of evidence for a post-tribulation rapture. And then he says, if that's true, then we have to decide what we're going to do about you know, how we handle the Antichrist. And then that's where the, the title came from. It's like, look, even if there is, even if we're going to live through all of that, I'm not afraid of the Antichrist. Um, if you're If you're interested in what the the Bible has to say about that and you want to see that evidence kind of laid out um, from beginning to end. Uh, that's an excellent book. And it's the last time I checked, it was relatively inexpensive too. Okay. So, um, but in looking at that, um, when we examine the nature of scripture and the fact that Israel has to stand on its own, um, that Israel won't have a protector. Um, when we look at the nature of the world that has to exist as um, human history is wrapping up, now that's not the end of history because Christ gets a thousand years after that too, right? And then, right. We, then we get a whole bunch of other new stuff. But as human history is wrapping up, the world looks radically different in that picture than it does today. Um, and for that to come to pass, some significant changes have to happen in the world. And I think one of those is that the U.S. can't be the top dog anymore. Or if the U.S. is the top dog, we can't be Israel's shield at that point. For whatever has changed has pulled us out of that position. Okay, I'm going to hold you there. We'll continue this discussion after the break. We've got to get to Rush. Tim is in Celine. Tim, I'm not going to take your call right now. Can you, Tim, will you hold un, until the next segment? Yes. Okay, if you'll hold to the next segment, uh, we'll let you get your, your question in, and then we will go uh, from there. Uh, Billy is here with me. Uh, Scott is out today. Steve is working, so he's not here today. So it is Billy and I here on the Dave Ellswick Show. And coming up, we're going to go uh, hear from uh, none other than Rush Limbaugh. So we don't want to delay from getting there. So let's do that right now, and then we'll be back with more. All right, Tim is going to be with us in just a moment. I need to tell you about uh, Hillcrest Designer Jewelry. Uh, getting some jewelry made that is unique uh, for your loved one uh, can only be done at a few places. And one of those places is Hillcrest Designer Jewelry. Uh, over 40 years of experience, Hillcrest Designer Jewelry is committed to providing you with the highest quality in jewelry services from top designer brands. I mean, they've got designer brands in the cases to custom designs and repairs, which I talk about all the time with Eric Coleman, uh, the jeweler at Hillcrest Designer Jewelry. Uh, They're there to make your jewelry dreams uh, come uh, true. They're at 3000 Cavanaugh Boulevard and Suite E right here in Little Rock. If you want to call them, 501-246-246. 
3655. You can make an appointment to go in and sit down and talk to Eric. But if you want designer jewelry, uh, a piece, a ring, uh, a necklace, a pendant, uh, a bracelet, whatever, designed specifically for someone, uh, you need to sit down and talk to Eric and let him take his skills and turn that uh, idea that you got into a beautiful piece of jewelry. Again, Hillcrest Designer Jewelry, 3000 Cavanaugh, right here in Little Rock. Billy's here for the Bible Guys. I'm Dave Ellswick, and Tim is with us on the phone. And, Tim, your question. Yes, thank you, gentlemen. Um, one of my favorite passages from the Bible is when Jesus is telling his disciples, shortly before he's crucified, all these things must happen. Uh there's exciting times in our world today. Exciting is not always good. Uh, all this is supposed to happen. I believe, like the gentleman just said, uh, America might not be here. I think we are a pawn in the great scheme of things for Israel. I think that's the reason that America was, is here. Uh, I fear only one, and that's God, all the time. Sometimes I do fear women, though. But also, I'd like to ask, uh, talk now about that thing called the Great Reset. Uh, that happens next year in the vows the International Monetary Fund. How would that re- is that anything that we've seen maybe reflecting in the scriptures? Thank you, guys. All right, appreciate it, Tim. That's a good question. We've not been asked that question, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Billy. The Great Reset. What is that all about? Um, so I'll talk about it in more general terms, uh, and I'll talk about it uh, in relationship to the stability of the United States. Um, you have to understand that the only reason that the United United States is well, I start saying the number one economy in the world. We're not anymore. China surpassed us, but the the only reason the United States has been an economic powerhouse since World War II is because on the international markets, oil can only be bought and sold in U.S. dollars. Mm-hmm. If you want to buy a barrel of oil and you use some other currency in your country, you have to first go buy U.S. dollars and then use those dollars to buy and sell oil. Um, it's called it's referred to as the petrodollar. Uh, and as a result, the because the oil market has been healthy because of all the expanding countries, the countries that are that are in a growth cycle, and and there's greater need and greater need for oil, um, that has also always bolstered the U.S. dollar. If if tomorrow they decoupled the U.S. dollar from oil, the U.S. dollar's value would plummet overnight. Oh yeah, there is the possibility that that could happen next year. Um, there's a, a collective called BRICS, which is Brazil, Russia, I forget who the I is, uh, and China, maybe it's India and China, um, that want to put together a basket of currencies um, through which oil could be traded rather than going directly to the U.S. dollar. Um, that would be disastrous economically. Um, secondarily, and, and our previous caller, uh, our first caller for the morning, talked about uh, how we had won, we had won, we had won. Um, even if history ends up showing that there was some significant amount of uh, fraud and that the election should have gone the other way, I don't know that you can get that proved between now and December the 12th. That, that's it. December the 8th is when the electors come together. Right. But I think they vote on the 12th, right? We, no. We certify they, on the 8th. They're going to they're gonna certify. Oh, okay. The electors. Add. Right. The 8th, the states will certify and then the 14th, the electors will vote. Okay, so um, if I were a if I were a state that had done something hinky, 
I promise you I would not certify my uh, election results until the very last possible moment to give the absolute minimal amount of time between then and uh, the electoral vote. Um, And because of the scale and potential fraud that has happened, I don't know that you can get enough done to prove that and change the election results. I just don't think it's going to happen. Well, um, here's my my thing, and and and, and Carol, I, I just want you to think about this for a moment. That Louis Gomer evidently, they're saying traveled over to Germany, right? And they have one of these machines, evidently, that did the, these changes right. in their possession. If that's the case, I got to believe that, and knowing Louis Gomer, he would be out. With that machine shouting from the mountaintops. Right. right. Yeah. Uh, um, so there's a difference between um, evidence and proof and being able to prove. Uh, right. So we have some evidence out there. And I will tell you that um, the the talking heads and the folks on YouTube uh, and the folks on Facebook and the folks on wherever you're consuming media from right now um, – they are talking a lot more about they they keep using the word proof. Uh, this proves that there was no no no. There is some evidence that there might have been something hinky going on, but we have no proof yet. Uh, if we had proof yet, you you would you that would be all over every news station everywhere. I mean, there's there's question marks because when it comes to Dominion, I'm not sure about Hammer and the other ones, but I know Scorecard. about mm-hmm. Dominion and. That from reading about it, it has been used in other countries to change election results. Now, the hammer uh, Carol referred to, uh, she's saying that was used in uh, Venezuela. Venezuela. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, I I had heard that it was Dominion that was used in in, uh, uh, Venezuela as well. So I don't know. And then... You know, the whole thing about the Soros own this company right, or got right. to own a lot of it. Do other people own these com- uh, these companies? I mean, it's it's things to look into, but, you know, you're looking, you got to go down in the rabbit hole. Right. And you got to follow all the available ends of uh, this rope. Right. And I don't know that you can get that done in six days. Um, that's, that's what it. I'm. I agree with you. Um, I, I suspect uh, 46 will be Biden, and then shortly after that will be 47 Harris. Um, I, I I don't think. I think the move to uh, the Democrats set up that committee to determine that a president needed to be removed because they were unhealthy. I don't think that had anything to do with Trump. I think that had everything to do with them anticipating a win, and how quickly they could get Biden out of there. I really do. Interesting. Um, We'll they, have uh, to see if that's the case. Yeah. They they tried to push Harris um, during the primaries, and the American people went, uh, no. no. And not only just no, uh, hell no. Right. And so the only way they could get a Harris presidency was to find someone that they could, they needed a straw man, right? They needed someone they could stick mm-hmm. up in front of her uh, and let him win the election and then hand that off to Harris. I, I think if I were a if I were a conspiracy theorist and I was falling into the conspiracy hole, uh, I think that is the conspiracy I would be looking at right now, that they stole this election not for him, 
but for her. And let me let me clarify the statement I just made. I am not saying the election was stolen. I'm saying that if I was a conspiracy theorist and I thought the election had been stolen, it wouldn't be for him. It would be for her. So uh, I think that um, I think history will have to tell us that. Um, and who knows whether or not we will get the opportunity. History is written by the victors, right? Um, so as we slide closer and closer towards socialism, we already see things being removed from our history. It's This is not... This is not something new. We want to try to go back today and judge history by today's moral standards. And then anything that is in our history that doesn't match our moral standards today, we want to remove. Should be stricken like Thanksgiving. Right. Um, And and I'm sorry. (laughs) My family ain't never given up Thanksgiving. Uh, It's it's our it's our favorite family holiday and always has been. Um, So but it's it's that. It's this drive to try to match every, to make everything match the narrative. And the purpose for that, you, you have to understand that there's a motive for that. The motive is that once so I have a, a position I want to to push forward, I go back and remove historically anything that doesn't match my position, and then when I lay my position out, I go, Well, see, history supports my position. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, if you make the history up as you go, um, you can support any position and make it look good um that's a la 1984 uh, there you go so um it's it's just insane uh what is going on right now is a bit of collective insanity um and we're going to have to deal with that um and you know you said you wanted to talk about ai and uh, dominion here um let's I'll, get into that next segment okay because i i would rather be I'll just tell you, I would rather be sleeping over the top of a nuclear bomb every night than what I see going on with AI right now. Yeah. So we'll talk about. Well, that's what Stephen Hawking said, yeah, yeah. and I, I, you know, he said it's opening Pandora's box, and right. I agree with it. All right, uh, you know, if you don't have a living trust in the state of Arkansas, everything that you own, including your house, bank accounts, investments, I mean, everything could be tied up in the courts for a year or longer. It could cost your estate tens of thousands of dollars in probate and legal fees and potentially get double taxed by the government. But you can avoid this with a, or you could avoid uh, with a free review from David Lucas Financial in Little Rock. Uh, David works with successful families, business owners and executives who have saved at least two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. And if you want to schedule a free review, all you have to do is call 501-222-3315. That's 501-222-3315. One more time, 501-222-3315. Be remembered as someone who left a legacy, not a mess. Investment advisory services are offered through David Lucas Financial and an Arkansas Registered Investment Advisor. All right, so we move into the final segment, and I want to go back to the reset. So the the bottom line, if the reset doesn't go our way, the United States could be almost literally swept off the world stage. Yeah, yeah you could go from first world status to third world status pretty quickly. Um, because the dollar wouldn't be worth anything to right, us. Right, um, we, we would be like, Venezuela was when you saw people with a wheelbarrow full of big bills uh, to go buy a single or Nazi Germany. So the, yeah, the, the yeah. historical films you see of that. Um, so yeah, it's um, it is something to be concerned about. Um, it is something to keep an eye on. And and I know when I say the U.S. as a third world country, people will scoff. 
Um, but there are places here already because of the natural disasters and such that we've had over the last couple of years where there are things that are difficult to get. Um, you know, sometimes you can walk in and I, we've had instances where we walked in and there is no rice on the, the shelf. And so like, now wait a minute. When, when was the last time you were in a grocery store that carries rice at the very least where they didn't have bags of rice more than you would ever want in your yeah. lifetime sitting there? Um, so we have to be cautious. Uh, we have to be careful, but we also have to never forget. Uh, I, I am first and foremost uh, an, an old country Pentecostal preacher. We have to. We must never forget that regardless of what is going on in the world, uh, our salvation is already sitting on his throne. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it is, um, the world may look topsy-turvy. The world may look upside upside down. You may be having an, an end suddenly moment. I, I preached this past weekend about the end suddenly moments in life where, you know, Think life is what is lived between the end suddenly moments. Uh, we we are living our life and the phone rings and suddenly life is radically different because of what happened there. But God has never had an end insu- suddenly moment. He's never woken up and looked around and went, what happened? Yeah. This is yeah, all right. still part of his plan. So uh, be cautious about what's going on and let's do what we can in the material fleshy world. But let's never forget that our, our primary goal is that spiritual world. Um Let's, let's, talk let's, about let's talk about AI because Stephen Hawking's uh, Elon Musk. He said that don't go down this path. Right. Elon Musk says greatest threat to humanity yes. that's ever existed, and uh, we've seen countless movies about this. I mean, that's what the Terminator is right, all right. about. So, to understand why I am so concerned about artificial intelligence, you first we have to first look at computing. Uh, computers in general. And I just want you to think back 30 years, if you can remember back 30 years in computing, because for most of us, there would not have been a computer at home 30 years ago. Just didn't happen. Uh, I don't think I got my first computer at home until, and that was only because my mother brought it home because of her job. Uh, And it was a full desktop sort of thing. I mean, it took up the entire desk. And that was in 90... I had a Commodore 64. Right. And that's probably, if you were were experiencing having a computer at home, it was probably a 64 or a 128 at that point setting at home. It wasn't much. No. Now, let's fast forward 30 years to today and see where computing is. Um, And we talk about the fact that our phones are, have more computing power than it took to put a man on the moon. Your current computer, the the current phone you've got in your pocket, which is a computer, has got hundreds and hundreds of times more computing power than what it took to put a man on the moon. That progress over 30 years um, had a rate uh, that is defined by Moore's Law. Now, most people say that Moore's Law means that computing doubles every 18 months. It's not what Moore said. Moore said that the number of transistors that we could pack into a a space would double every 18 months. But as that doubles, computing power lags with that too, right? Mm -hmm. So that's 18 months, and that 18-month cycle has brought us from where we were in 1990 to where we are today. Artificial intelligence is doubling every uh, every four months at this point. Not 18 months. But every four months, it's on a it's on a time scale that is four times faster and it's exponential growth. So what it is today, it doubles in four months and doubles in four months. And we go, oh, OK, so that means in like seven years, it'll have made the same progress that computers made in 30 years. Mm-hmm. That is a huge amount of progress in very little time. Um, and here's the problem. 
artificial intelligence is already making decisions for you. You, you may not realize that, but artificial intelligence is already making decisions for you. Do you use Waze? Are you using a GPS system somewhere? Most of the newer ones, now your old GPS is just literally looked at the map and went, go here, go here, and go here. Waze goes, hey, uh, I see traffic ahead for you, so I'm going to redirect you around, and here's the fastest route that I can calculate based on, that's artificial intelligence sitting in the background. You open your browser and go to Google and start typing what is, and it hands you a recommendation, what is so-and-so. Yeah, That's artificial intelligence working in the background. Um you need a cancer diagnosis these days. There are trials out there right now where artificial intelligence is looking at the x-rays and the slides to determine cancer because the artificial intelligence is about 40 times or about 40% more accurate than a person who has done eight years of college, four years of, of medical school, and has spent 20 years in practice. The artificial intelligence, which was trained in a matter of weeks, is better at spotting cancer than a physician, a veteran physician. So we're already allowing um, artificial intelligence to make a whole bunch of decisions for us. And as it becomes better and better and better, we're going to allow it to make more and more and more decisions for us. There are groups out there who their stated goal for artificial intelligence is to, quote, create a new God, end quote. Singularity. There you go. And the moment they create a new God and that God is allowed to make decisions for us, a whole bunch of us are in trouble. I'm going to have you back on, just you and I talking about this, because it worries me. It really does worry me. All right, we're going to take a break. Uh, Join me again at 6 o'clock tonight. Uh, I'll be back with you at that time. I'll have Billy back on to talk. We'll talk more about artificial intelligence, something that needs to be discussed. Stephen Hawking said just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do it. All right, let's take a break. We'll be back with more 6 a.m. tomorrow morning. get going here in the six o'clock hour uh, i've been talking the last two days uh, applied research looking for people to be part of a study on covid19 and uh, donna has come in and she's here today from applied research and she's brought with her dr wilbur yeah, uh, correct that's correct okay and he is are you the, are you heading up this study doc yes sir I'm the principal investigator of this study. Okay. So uh, this is uh, AstraZeneca. Is that who's behind this one? That's correct. Yes. Okay. So now we've heard from Pfizer. We've heard now from Madeira. And now we're going to hear from AstraZeneca. There's a lot. Let me just ask this. Did Donald Trump do the right thing in doing a Manhattan Project uh, for this kind of uh, a vaccine for this particular virus? Well, as a frontline health worker, I'm a board-certified emergency physician on the front lines. Okay. Um, and so, and I even had COVID myself. And so I, I think I've got credibility when I say that he absolutely did the right thing by creating Operation Warp Speed. 
because this is what we needed when we had a virus like this, is we had to get therapeutics and a vaccine out as quick as possible, but as safe as possible. So he absolutely did the right thing. Warp speed means this, getting rid of all of the stupid rules that are out there to slow things down and allow, uh, you know, the market to do what it does and does best. And it's done it. That's correct. And also, in my opinion, a, a lot of the timing that it takes to get a drug to market is regulatory, you know. Oh, yeah. And and now we have different technology with vaccine research. And so uh, it, it's created in a different way and we can uh, create the products faster and safer. And uh, when you decrease the regulation, we can actually get to market quicker and still maintain the same safety. So he did the right thing by decreasing the regulation so that we can get the, the product uh, to market faster and save a lot of lives. Okay, so let's move to the chase here. You know, I'm kind of beating around the bush a little bit. Let's get right to it. Uh, what's this study? How can people get involved? Because I understand you need a lot of people to be involved in this study. So uh, let's give them all the, the ands, ifs, and buts about it. Will do. So, uh, again, I'm the principal investigator for the Phase three AstraZeneca vaccine trial, COVID-19 vaccine trial. And we're the only site in Arkansas. Um, so as you mentioned, there's only a few companies that have gone to phase three. Right. And uh, so Moderna, uh, Pfizer, and uh, AstraZeneca. So we're looking to enroll uh, in upwards of 1,500 uh, Central Arkansans uh, for this trial. And uh, eligibility is uh, age 18 or greater. And so if you're interested in this trial, please call the Applied Research Center, and mm-hmm. we'll start the enrollment process. Um, and so you mentioned the race. Um, so... Uh, We've seen in the news uh, that uh, these companies plan to do like a, an emergency uh, use authorization to the Food and Drug Administration mm-hmm. to get to market uh, quicker. Pfizer's uh, getting very close to doing that. I believe Moderna is and, and AstraZeneca within, I anticipate now, I'm, I can't say this factually yet, but I anticipate within a couple of months they will also be releasing numbers very similar to what you're seeing with Pfizer and uh, Moderna. As cool. Well. So, so I think you're right, it's a race, uh, but... Does that really imply that there's only going to be one product on the market? And uh, the way that Warp Speed is set up is that uh, we're prepared to have multiple products on the market, which is going to be good, you know, for the for the population because these vaccines are uh, appear to be very very effective. So it's okay that there's not only going to be just one. You know, uh, we we don't anticipate. We think there could be multiple to the market. Okay, can you talk real quickly to how it's changed in developing a vaccine? I mean. Look, I'm old and I'm as old as dirt, all right? <laughs> I remember watching old newsreel footage of them injecting eggs with things and making vaccines out of that. I'm assuming that's not the way we do it anymore. Well, uh, you're correct. They still do make vaccines that way. And that was part of the reason for some of the delay um, is it took a long time to incubate the vaccine yeah. that way. And um you know, if we go back a couple of presidential administrations, um, there was a big push in uh, one of the George Bush um, um, administrations that accelerated the technology, you know, that allows us to be uh, in our current day where we can actually have the technology to do these RNA viruses and like the AstraZeneca vaccine and things like that. So technology has come a long way, you know, in preparation for a pandemic like this. And so where the technology is now is uh, many of those vaccines in the past um, would use a either a live virus you know they're actually injecting you with a with a live virus so that your immune system would uh, kind of kick in mm-hmm. or an attenuated or in other words a sort of a killed virus and your body would recognize that these vaccines are different these vaccines are safer than that and those, those were the old vaccines where you had to incubate them in eggs and things like that 
Uh, but now this is really using genetic precision, you know. And um, so these vaccines, uh, they essentially use the genetic material uh, of the virus we're trying to target. So if you can imagine, the way viruses work in common terms is when they get into our bodies, they attach to our cells, and they're kind of the ultimate parasite. They can't really do anything on their own. But when they attach to our cells, they inject their genetic material in the cells to do whatever that virus wants to do, to express various proteins, things like that. Well, what we can do with these vaccines is we can get you know, a, a very specific genetic material to be put into our cells, and then our cells will actually make the protein or, in, otherwise, in other words, the antigen that our body will then recognize. And so that's where we make the army of you know, the killer cells and the antibodies and the T cells to then recognize that. And so that what's make, that's what makes them so much safer is you cannot get the coronavirus from these vaccines. So I think that's where the listeners need to be, you know, sort of um, brought up to speed is you will not get the coronavirus from this vaccine that, you know, there's a common misperception of, you know, you're giving me a, a killed virus or a live virus. I'm going to actually get the disease. That is not the case with these vaccines. So they're much, much safer. Yeah. I mean, look, I understand people being worried because of all the crap that was out there on the internet about a disproved study in Lancet from a British doctor who cooked the books better. And then you had a female actress that had two great assets and uh, went out and convinced people they shouldn't get vaccinated. I believe we've seen, you know, diseases that I saw eradicated when I was a young person that are coming back because people are believing ridiculous things on the internet and not science. So uh, this is good news of what you're telling us. It's very good news. All right. So Donna, let me turn to you. Uh, 501-954-7822. That's correct. That's the number to call. Right. All right. What's going to happen when somebody calls that number that says, you know, yeah, tell me about this COVID-19 thing. Mm Mm-hmm. We'll answer the phone. We'll go ahead and do a type of pre-screening because there's certain criteria that uh, you can get into the study. Have to be 18 years uh, old and older. Mm-hmm. Cannot have had COVID, so you okay. cannot have been positive for COVID. Uh, and yeah, because they be don't in- want you to already have a natural immunity. Right. Yeah. Okay. And then you have to be in good, stable health. So we will uh, take your uh, number. We'll be having people stand by on the phones, taking your uh, name, phone number. We'll go ahead and and have you come in for uh, screening. It is voluntarily. Everything is voluntarily. Um, You actually will read the consent form. There's a process you have to go through to be able to participate in clinical research trials. So you'll read the consent form. Uh, We will be there to answer any questions once you do that, and then we'll proceed. All right. So... It's really straightforward. Right. I mean, I've I've tried to get into one myself and couldn't because I was taking another medicine at the time that disqualified me. Right. But uh, I I tried. So you don't have to pay for any of the, the, the medical procedures. You don't have to worry about having insurance or anything like that. That's All correct. you need to do is call 501-954-7822. That's correct. Mm-hmm. And you guys will take it from there. We'll take it from there. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Doc, what, what, what's this going to be like? I mean, are you going to – they're going to say, yeah, you, you can be. Now we're going to sequester you for uh, three months and give you a shot or something? Or how is this going to work? 
No, uh, you actually live your life normally. Really? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So to pick up on where Donald left off, um, once you're consented and once we determine your eligibility, uh, you know, which there's very few exclusion criteria. And so what that essentially means is the vast majority of people that call that are interested, they'll be enrolled in the study. Uh, cool. And uh, what they're going to experience is uh, after they're consented and after a physician or, a, or an advanced practice provider will do a physical exam on them, determine them to be eligible, uh, they'll get their first injection. Now, this is a double-blind placebo-controlled trial. So in other words, what that means is uh, the patient's blinded and me as the investigator, I'm blinded. I don't know if they're getting vaccine or if they're getting placebo. But the good news is the chances are greater that they're getting the vaccine because it's it's a two-to-one two to enrollment. And what that means is uh, for every two people that get vaccine, one person gets placebo. So your chances are pretty good that you're going to get the vaccine. You get your first injection on day one when you come into us. You get your second injection on day 29. Um, uh, we uh, On day one, uh, we test you for uh, COVID-19. Um, we do some blood draw as well, looking for the presence of antibodies and a number of other blood tests. Uh, patients are enrolled for a two-year period. Now, the real reason for that two-year period is really just looking at the immune response. We, all the companies, Pfizer, Moderna, AstraZeneca, we want to see how long this lasts, right? And so uh, patients will be asked to have uh, about seven clinic visits over that two-year period, you know, so it's not overly onerous, you know. Um, we check in with them weekly to see how they're doing. And um, uh, for those, and I have an awful lot of patients that, uh, you know, get the nasal swab. And I, like I said, I had the nasal swab too. You only get one nasal swab. That's good news, you know. <laughs> and uh, thankfully, you only get one nasal swab. But those seven visits, uh, we're checking your antibodies. That's a quick blood draw. Um, so it's really, yeah. it's it's really, you know, um, relatively convenient. And it's kind of done at your own schedule, you know. So that's what you're going to experience as a, as a patient in our trial. Okay, bottom line is that they want to see how you react to, you know, the vaccine. If they find out you got the vaccine, they're going to say, you know, how do you feel? Did you have any, you know, did you run a fever? Did you do this? Did you do that? They're going to be asking you a lot of different questions. Correct. Correct. And the the good news is what we have learned from AstraZeneca is uh, if it appears that this is as effective as the earlier trials would suggest – there's a chance that before the two years is up uh, that they may unblind the trial. And what that would really mean is those that got the placebo um, would then be allowed to get the vaccine as a participant. Now, we, we don't know, and AstraZeneca doesn't know when that will happen, but there's a really good chance that for participants that say, well, you know, I'm going to be in this thing for two years and I don't know if I got the vaccine, there's a pretty good chance that uh, – given the, the speed at which this data is coming out and the interim analyses are coming out to give us this data, there's probably going to be a good chance that unblinding occurs much sooner. All right. Donna from Applied Research is here today. She's been here on the show several times. Dr. Wilbur, first time he's come in, he likes um, our, our our decorations here in the, in the studio. We'll just leave it at that. But uh, l- l- let me ask this question. We've heard a lot about herd you know, herd immunity, immunity. I'm, I was going to use a different word. I've had Dr. Yamauchi on countless times here on my show, and we've talked about that. And uh, how long, if these, if these vaccines are as good as they're saying, I mean, this latest one from Dura is 94 and a half percent good. All right. It does what it's supposed to do. Uh, how long before we reach that? Is it like, a year, six months, how long? Uh, excellent question, and unfortunately, the answer is we don't know. <laughs> I mean, we d- we don't know yet. Um, for 
those of us like myself uh, who have already had COVID-19, um, as we know, you know, we first learned of this virus in the end of December 2019, right? right. So uh, we, we only have a, a few short months since the onset of this virus. And so we can't, well, we can project, I should say, but we don't actually have real months of real data aside from January 2020 when we first learned about this. The most recent study that I saw of folks that naturally uh, got infected with uh, COVID-19, like myself, uh, they were still showing antibody response and good immune response seven months later. And so uh, the the vaccines, the way that they're designed um, is they tell our own cells to express the protein that you find on the surface of the of the coronavirus. And again, you can't get coronavirus from getting the vaccine, but you express that protein. And that's essentially what was recognized in my body when I had the infection. Uh, uh, a person that gets the vaccine, that's what uh, their antibodies are going to recognize. And so when they see that coronavirus protein, they start the entire immune response, which that doesn't only involve the creation of antibodies, but there's a T cell response or a natural killer response, things of that sort. So it appears that <clears throat> we we anticipate that there's going to be a long-lasting effect, but we can't tell you right now. Nobody can tell you right now, is this going to last for two years, five years, ten years? Because we also don't, and virologists and epidemiologists will tell you this as well, we don't know what this virus is going to do in a number of years. However, when it comes to should we actually – uh, take this vaccine or should we use a vaccine like this? By all means, absolutely we should. But we can't tell you right now how long it's going to last. And so that's why uh, all of the studies are going, uh, the phase three studies are going for a couple years so that we can follow this along. All right. We're going to take a break. We've got more for you. Don't run away. It's the Dave Ellswick Show, and we're talking about COVID-19 and the future. I want to talk about the future and when is this stuff going to be done? We'll talk about it some more when we come back. All right, we're back. Let's go uh, talk some more uh, with Dr. Wilbur, who is with us. He's going to be running the study on COVID-19 that's uh, going on with applied research. Don't forget the number to call in so that you can take part in this, 501-954-7822. You'll be talking to Donna and and other people, and they're going to get you all set up. And evidently, if you're in good health and and stable – uh, your chances of getting involved in this are pretty good. So we need you to do it. I yes, mean, this is what we need you to do. We need you to, to do that. So, Doc, let, let's talk. Uh, I wanted to talk about transportation of the vaccine. Uh, is this going to have to be one of the vaccines? I know Pfizer, one of the problems they're going to have with theirs is that it's got to be transported at like 90 degrees below zero or something. Mm-hmm. And a lot of pharmacies are not going to have the wherewithal to keep it that way. Uh, Madura evidently doesn't need to be that cold. What about uh, AstraZeneca? Uh, that's a good question. Um, ours needs to be cold. And, and you were correct that the Pfizer vaccine is a negative 80 is where it needs to be transported. 80, okay. That's right. And uh, Moderna is slightly warmer than that. That could be in a, in a conventional freezer once it's delivered to site and, and in, in places like America where we can design infrastructure like this, it's still going to be a relatively Herculean effort for the Pfizer vaccine. And I'm not, I'm not speaking disparaging by any means of the Pfizer vaccine. It's just to maintain that temperature for that long is going to be very difficult. But those that are the most vulnerable are going to be some of the underdeveloped countries, you know, and some of the, in the hotter climates. And you get to Africa, it's going yeah, to be difficult. They're going to have a difficult time um, with this process. And so what that affects is the stability of the vaccine, you know. And so AstraZeneca can be a little bit warmer. I can't tell you exactly right now what the, what the transportation temperature is going to be. Um, 
But one of the benefits of Operation Warp Speed is they are doing this in parallel, meaning the the uh, distribution of the vaccine is being designed in parallel, and it's a it's another wonderful example of the public private partnership, you know, of how both private and uh, and public resources are going to be ready to distribute the vaccine once production is uh, ramped up, essentially, you know. So um, once the vaccines get through the FDA emergency authorization, uh, distribution will be as ready as we've ever been, you know, and we've never seen uh, vaccine distribution like this uh, before. So uh, again, uh, kudos to those that came up with Operation Warp Speed to be able to to affect the public health in this positive way by the creation of these vaccines. So it's well done. Well, military got involved in it, and that was a good thing mm-hmm. because let me tell you what: when you got to go to war, you got to know how to get the troops there. Correct. You got to know how to get the food there. You got to know how to do all. They know how to do transportation. So it's good that the military got involved. Let's talk about perception because perception very much becomes reality. If you don't get the shot, all right, don't blame me if you get the disease. I'm just saying. I'm going to be honest right now. I'm tired of being locked down. I don't want to be locked down anymore. So uh, this is a safe vaccine, correct? Uh, correct. Our our preliminary data, phase one, phase two, is very, very safe. And if if we look at the modalities that Pfizer and Moderna are using um, in their phase three trials and what we're already seeing from our phase three trial, these appear to be very, very safe. Yes. So get the vaccine. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I'm being honest. You know, we, we've, we spend all this money of our taxpayers' money and things to – to to get the science that we need to defeat a bug like this, get the vaccine. I agree, and I would love, with your permission, to address a little bit of the side go. effects with your listeners. Yeah, um, go. You know, because uh, you know, you had mentioned earlier about you know some of the previous vaccines and some of the side effects and what some celebrities have come out and said and everything else. But what we're seeing is now already with Pfizer, uh, Moderna, and with AstraZeneca, thousands and thousands of patients have already been vaccinated globally. All right, so. While it sounds like we're just getting started, we're not just getting started. This is, again, phase three. And what we're seeing from an adverse event is essentially uh, patients report pain at the site of injection, which you get with every single injection study. So that's mm-hmm. common. It's a needle. Right. And then, <laughs> like with most vaccines, you can feel some uh, uh, sort of some malaise and, and feeling a, almost like a, a, a viral infection for uh, one to three days, and okay. that that tends to clear with a little bit of ibuprofen. So we're seeing that that's the extent of the adverse events. So it appears to be very very safe. All right, let me give the phone number again: five zero one nine five four seventy eight twenty two five zero one nine five four seventy eight twenty two. Get involved in the study. They need you to call now right Right. all right and do that it's interesting because there's been an overwhelming response okay we're out of time let me say thanks for coming in back with you here on the dave ellswick show good to have you along uh that was a great segment i thought with donna and dr wilbur uh dealing with the covid19 vaccine clinical research study uh that's going on now Uh, again if you want to be part of this call now they have people Manning the phones as we speak. 501-954-7822. 501-954-7822. 
Uh, you don't need any insurance or, or anything like that. You're not going to be charged any money. Uh, and uh, all you have to do is be in good or stable health. And you should be able to get into this study. Uh, and uh, this is the phase three study. Uh, this is when they're going to use it on a whole lot of people. And uh, they already know it works. They're going to see just how well that this will work. Know that it's a double blind study as well. 501 954 seven eight two two or you can go online to uh, see the number 19 vaccine study.com there you go elizabeth is back with us good to have her back here on the dave ellswick show she was with me uh this morning i've asked her to come back during the six o'clock hour and uh, i i gave her the heebie-jeebies uh during the uh, 7 o'clock part of the show because I had Billy Miller on for the Bible Guys. And we at the end of the show, we got into talking about AI. And uh, when I talk about artificial intelligence, I get the heebie-jeebies. It makes me very uncomfortable to know what we might be heading for. You feel the same way, don't you, Elizabeth? Well, it's like Billy said this morning, uh, our knowledge is jumping in such a uh, exponential way. Human being brains cannot keep up. Um, I think AI, I agree with you said it this morning, Stephen Hawking mm-hmm. says, you know, we better beware. I totally agree. I work in a different part of computer systems, but I've also been in a computer business for 27 years, hardware and software documentation. I was a software specialist, uh, documentation specialist. I know how they work, and I know how they can be programmed. And, you know, and then this AI thing, when they take off on their own, is so spooky, so spooky. And again, you've got to think about who is who is behind the research. Who are the people that are directing the computers to start doing what they're doing? Well, in some in in cases, there's nobody. I mean, at MIT, they took a, a, a group of computers. I think it was five. And they allowed them to talk to each other, mm-hmm. and yep. uh, they were making each other better. And here's what happened: they started their own language, own language, now, yes. And, and we didn't know what they were talking yeah, about. And, and that's not what freaked them out. What freaked the scientists out is that looking at how they were saying what they were saying. It seemed to be very aggressive against humans, and they shut it down. They shut that study down. Well, and I know that that happened. I know that they did shut down a study on artificial learning where the computers worked together and created their own language where we could not. Number one, the fact that they created it so that we could not understand it in and of itself. If mm-hmm. you think about that a little bit, it's kind of spooky. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, they shut it down. I Again, I'll just say, think of it, though. It's the folks at MIT. It's who controls academia, Dave. It's well, the left. It's not the conservatives. It's not people who respect the use of technology to help advance our country and our people and our freedoms. It's the other side. Well, what I That's thought who's getting all the grant money. <laughs> I, what I thought was interesting in talking to Billy off uh, air, and I'm going to have Billy back on to just do an hour with me, maybe two, 
dealing about artificial intelligence and allow people to call in and ask questions and things of that nature is that he made the uh you know the argument to me as stephen hawking had used as elon musk uh does elon musk doesn't like ai Uh, it worries him Hmm. as well he's he he says that it is the greatest threat to mankind that is out there Uh, this is a guy that just yesterday they took his rocket and sent four astronauts to the international space station uh and uh you know is is on the cusp of you know autonomous automobiles and the whole nine yards as far as this goes he's the technology king yeah you know, you know that's where he is and and he doesn't you know, doesn't trust it uh, but when you start talking about singularity and and some of the things that they're talking about in the scientific community, it worries me. Now, what is singularity? That is the melding of human and machine. This yeah. is this is where this is where they want to go. Look, man has always wanted to be immortal, but we are learning uh, that our bodies are not designed for immortality. They, they are breaking down uh, from almost the moment of, uh, you know, your birth. They, they, they cells die and regenerate and things of that nature. Uh, and so they're beginning to understand, and you may have seen some of the same stuff that I have, uh, Elizabeth, that they want to move your consciousness and, yeah. and, into a machine. You wouldn't. Now we're not talking science fiction, have, folks. No, no, we're no. Talking this about is, real stuff going on stuff right now. They are. They are. Yep. You know, talking about this where you don't have yep. a body. You will have a. You know, you're gonna. You're going to be just part machine, and yeah. it'll just be consciousness. Of all the things that we talk about, when I speak about that. Star Trek in the 60s was already talking about this stuff. They, they, that's why I read so much science fiction is because a lot of science fiction becomes science fact. That is certainly true. For many, many years has been true, strangely enough. Well, as people, as scientists are considering these things, writers read what scientists are considering, and they start carrying that philosophy out to well, what could it be its logical conclusion? And sometimes it be like? it's not pretty sometimes. It's scary out there. And I'm not a Luddite by any stretch of the imagination. Well, here's what Billy said. What they're doing, they're, they're getting past that scary part by your computer already has AI in it. Your phone has AI in it. And it's very beneficial. But that's AI that is well controlled. What happens when you turn it loose to do what you make it autonomous? Then it becomes scary as far as I'm concerned. It's like everything else. They start out slow and easy. It still astounds me to this day. And I think you have an Alexa, don't you, in your home? Oh, yeah. I I won't have one. I will not have one in our house. I will not have anything voice-activated because of those concerns. They are AI-driven. I don't know where the... Billy talked about this this morning. The database. The bowl of, of uh, uh, jelly beans. 
I don't know where their databases are. I don't know what they're doing with my data. Yeah, where, I don't like it. Where, where do they it keep, really spooks me. Where do they keep the metadata? You know, that's the other thing. Exactly. I just watched a movie last night that dealt with that. It was crazy. I, I'll, I'll get the title of it and... Uh, and send it to you. I told Billy I'd send it to him. You got. You need to. You need to watch it. It's. It's a. It's a sobering look. There's a TV show on right now. I don't remember if it's ABC, CBS, or NBC. It's called Next N E X T. And it deals with artificial intelligence. And yeah, it's kind of the Frankensteinian side of the story. But you got to look at that side of the story. You can't just look at the side of the sword. That's really, really sharp and does all the good stuff and not look at the side of the, sh- the, the sword that's also sharp and can cut things and disregard it. you got to look at both sides. I, I don't see how they take uh, artificial intelligence and turn it loose. I just don't see how they can do that. Well, again, it depends. In my mind, has everything to do with who is doing the research and who is pushing the technology for what reasons. And what we've now learned in the last oh few weeks here about another huge technology that we use all across the country, which would be our voting system. Yeah. And what we do not know yet, and all the anomalies, let's call them, that we're uncovering, have really made me think a lot about all of our other so-called trustworthy systems. And I've, I've, again, I've been in computers for years, and I know they do what you tell them to do. And I know, well, I'm not a security specialist, but I do know some about that. Uh, Billy can tell you stories all day long that would curl your hair about things people can do with computers to take them over, things they can do with our data. And they're making it common by, you know, it being in the movies and it being on the TV, and people start thinking about, well, it's so convenient to tell Alexa to turn on the water faucet and give me eight ounces of water for my hot chocolate. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's so convenient for me to be able to talk to the ring doorbell and tell the person standing on the doorstep. Well, there's it, it's not just you interacting with that machine. That data is being stored somewhere. And as far as I'm concerned, it's no different than being spied on. Yeah, but here's, I mean, it here's, here's the question. Here's the question <laughs> about this is I'm not worried about what you're worried about. I guess I'm worried about a bigger picture here. What happens when the machine develops itself to the point that it doesn't need us anymore? Well, no, I don't like to think about those things, so I've tried not to think about those things, (laughs) truly. I mean, you know, I'm the one who sent you the little story and said, hey, AI talks to itself, you know. Um, it's spooky as heck. And I'm a science fiction girl, too, by the way. I'm a science gal, but I'm also a science fiction person. I've read science fiction for years. Really love it. And you're right. It it does uh, preview, in many cases, what's for real. And there is no shortage of science fiction out there that has very dire circum- uh, you know, uh, results from computers and machines. Uh, taking over. And then there's the whole faith-based side of it. I do not think God made us as human beings to be melded with machines. I just don't agree with that at all. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, well, you know. it, it, that, but, that's saying that, uh, you know, without man, you're not perfect. Exactly. You know, it, it, there's, some very, there's some very dangerous perceptions in science, and I agree. Singularity, I believe, is one of them. I've, I've, there, I'm, I'm trying to think who it was. I guess it was Cosmos that uh, did a um, 
uh, a series on AI and uh, how it would affect our lifetime and 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 different things that were happening. And I don't know if it's going to happen in my ha- lifetime. As Billy said, you know, the the ability of AI is increasing itself every four months. Yes. I mean, when you look at yes. at at how much how much uh, computing power can you get in a chip? That takes eighteen months. This is every four months, and it's just getting faster. That's what I'm saying. Human minds, you know, our human intellect. We can't. We. I honestly believe we had the capacity, but I believe our intellect does not allow us. The brain is there, but I don't think there's a way for us to comprehend those. Uh, you know, we can say we understand, but I don't think we can keep up with that as humans. That's what scares me. Well, just like you, it would be very tough, as far as I'm concerned, for a human to project out to what AI would be in two years. That's uh, what I'm for, saying. For where yeah. it is right now, and that's the problem. So I go back to what Stephen Hawking used to say. Yeah, we can do that, but should we? But should we? Just because you can doesn't mean you should. You should. And I think I think we've seen in, in you know the scientific community and, and certainly the political realm the idea that we can and not only can't we will and we don't care whether we should or not. The the uh, uh, morality of things is missing from the picture. All right, we got to take a break. When we come back, we'll finish up our discussion. Elizabeth Soltelari is with me. Soltelaro is with me here on the Dave Ellswick Show. We'll finish up our discussion about artificial intelligence when we continue here at 101.1 FM, The Answer. Final segment of the Dave Ellswick Show for a Tuesday here in the 6 o'clock hour. I want to bring some information, uh, Elizabeth, from William Isaac. He's a senior research scientist on the ethics and society team at DeepMind, M-I-N-D an AI startup that Google acquired in 2014. He also co-chairs the Fairness, Accountability, and Transparency Conference, the premier annual gathering of AI experts, social scientists, and lawyers working in this area. He was asked uh, a series of uh, questions by uh, MIT. The first one was, should we be worried about superintelligent AI? And here's what he had to say. And uh, this is, I'm just saying this can make your, your blood run cold. I want to shift the question. The threats overlap, whether it's predictive, policing and risk assessment in the near term, or more scaled and advanced systems in the longer term. Many of these issues also have a basis in history. So potential risks and ways to approach them are not as abstract as many think. There are three areas that uh, I want to flag. Probably the most pressing one is this question about, got to remember these terms now, value alignment. How do you Uh actually design a system that can understand and implement the various forms of preferences and values of a population? In the past few years, we've seen attempts by policymakers, industry, and others to try to embed values into technical systems at scale in areas like 
predictive policing, risk assessments, hiring, etc. Uh, it's clear that they exhi- exhibit uh, some form of bias that reflects society. The ideal system would balance out all the needs of many stakeholders and many people in the population. But how does society reconcile their own history with aspiration? We're still struggling with the answers, and that question is going to be get exponentially more complicated. Getting that problem right is not just something for the future, but for the here and now. The second one would be achieving demonstrable social benefit. And lastly, I think the biggest one that anyone who works in space is concerned about, what are the robust mechanisms of oversight and accountability? Those are huge, huge topics that we could spend a day on for each one. But it just shows you how complex this whole thing about uh, artificial intelligence is all about. And again, I'll just say, look who's doing the talking. It's the scientists that are running it. And I honestly wonder about their orientation toward freedom for human beings versus, you know, maybe it's just raw pursuit of science, but maybe it's other uh ways that they think about the world and the way that they're shaping those questions that he's asking, you know? Yeah. I mean, seriously, look, value alignment. When government is supplying all the health care, okay. Supplying all of it. There are moral decisions that have to be made. There are scientists that say we got to take the morality out of it and follow the, the, the figures, so to speak. So here's, yeah. here's, here's the problem with that. A person can't do it. A machine could. That's a scary thought as well. And again, it's a threat to our, our future as a free people that we would not be encumbered. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure how we would be able to overcome uh, an AI um, government, for example, and this guy's talking about the ideal system would balance the needs of many people in the population. Who says? It's not his job to decide what the ideal system is. But who's the many? Yeah, and who's the many people that he's thinking of? And I guarantee you the way they're looking at the world today, the left, half of the world doesn't even, or half of the U.S. doesn't exist because Mm. we are all, let's call it racists. (laughs) Yeah. We don't think the way they think politically, so we don't even exist. So, again, it's... Or it's, shouldn't for exist. For me, it's usually the people behind it. It's usually the people behind it. The technology is horrible and scary. And could I, I mean, Billy talked about the medical uses this morning. Those uses of AI are, are phenomenal. But, again, we have to worry about how it's going to be implemented and possibly used against us. Well, I want some some humanity involved in anything that's dealing with me as far as medical. I want to sit down and talk to another human being and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, count me as a, a, a Luddite on this. If I have to have open heart surgery again in my future sometime, I don't want some machine to be lowered over my body. No robot surgery for you, huh? <laughs> and it takes over for everything. I'm not, 
I'm not thrilled about that idea. Elizabeth, it's always a pleasure. Go out and catch some cats. <laughs> I'll talk to you soon. All right, we'll <laughs> Thank do. Thank you. All right, Elizabeth Solaro here on the Dave Ellswick Show. I'm back with you again tomorrow, 6 a.m. Don't miss the show. It's always fun to do here on the Dave Ellswick Show.